listening to the future of automotive. In this podcast series, I will navigate through the automotive landscape. How soon will we go to work in a self-driving car? And what will the new technology bring us? And are there bumps in the road ahead? I get to ask all these questions to experts from different fields. My name is Maria Punch, and in this first episode, we'll focus on trends. And joining me are Stan Berings, partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers and leader of the Dutch PwC automotive team. And also Willem Strijbos, head of autonomous driving at TomTom. Warm welcome to you both. Glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, just we have a lot to talk about, but before we get started, I'm curious, um, Stan, how did you travel to the studio? I travel by car, and it's uh, it's an old diesel. It's an old diesel, okay. <laughs> it's an old diesel. I live uh, <laughs> right in the south of the Netherlands. Yeah. So uh, for me, with the current range of electric cars, it's not feasible yet. But looking forward to uh, when the when the ranges extend, that I can move uh, into an electric. To switching car. at some point. Yeah. Yes. What about you, Willem? How do you uh, travel to the studio? I travelled here by train. I see. Public transport. Public transport. Now, before we move on, I would like to pay some attention to our sponsor, Leaseplan. With over 50 years of experience, uh, Leaseplan's mission is to provide what's next in mobility via any car, anytime, anywhere service, so their customers can focus on what's next for them. Now, Son, I'd like to start out with you. Um, If we look at everyday traffic, we still see a lot of people in cars by themselves. They probably own that car. Uh, We see them behind the steering wheel. That's our current normal. Um, If we would jump ahead in time, let's say five years from now, how different would our traffic look? Well, I think in five years from now, not that much different yet. Mm -hmm. Um, If we move a little bit further, let's say 15 years from now, we might see a change. But people tend to want to travel alone have the comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology is already there, but infrastructure, etc., etc., needs to move forward to, to get the speed into changing. Okay. So five years from now, I don't think there'll be that much of a difference yet. Yeah, so consumer acceptance is an issue in this picture? Yeah, consumer acceptance, but also infrastructure. Sure. So... Yeah, we'll probably talk about that a little bit further. Um, Willem, when, I think when people hear the name TomTom, they will automatically think of the navigation devices we used to have in our car. Um, but you and your company have been working on new technology uh, for quite a few years now. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you and your team are, are working on? Yeah, so I uh, lead the autonomous driving unit in, uh, in TomTom. And uh, um, what we do in that unit is that we make the car-to-cloud-to-car map service. So car-to-cloud means we collect data from vehicles, both our own vehicles plus crowdsourced data. Yes. We process that in the cloud and we stream it back to vehicles in the form of a high-definition map. Okay. And um, a high-definition map is very different from a navigation map. Right. Yeah, so uh, a high-definition map is expressed in... uh, The accuracy is expressed in centimeters, where a navigation map is expressed in meters. Okay, so it's probably already a a bigger screen that you're looking at, or uh, not necessarily... A navigation map is meant for visualization, among other things. Mm -hmm. And a high-definition map, you will never see. Ah. You can visualize it, it's not a problem, but it's ultimately meant for a robot, right? right? For software. Okay, And the HD that we would maybe think about video, HD images, um, but this that says something about the specific quality of the data? 
Yeah, especially the accuracy. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can call a navigation map a standard definition map and a map for autonomous driving for, for all levels of automated driving. You can call that a high definition map. The most visceral difference is the, the increase in accuracy, right? So you go from meters to centimeters. Right. And um, how do you collect the data? You said we have special cars yeah. uh, that collect them. Could you tell us a little bit about that, how that works? Yeah, so we have a uh, fleet, uh, a global fleet of vehicles that drive around. They have very high-grade sensors on them, uh, laser scanners, very accurate positioning uh, machinery, cameras, of course. Uh, and they drive around with our drivers, they're our cars, and they collect, you know, enormous amounts of data, right? Mm-hmm. Petabytes and petabytes. for, uh, and, and then we process that. Right. And the idea is that the sensors, the cameras, they can see so much more than the human eye. Because now we, we, in driving, we rely on human decision-making and human, human eyes. It can see uh, more, specifically more accurately. Mm-hmm. Uh, because humans, for example, are not that good at uh, gauging distance. Right. Uh, if I ask you to uh, look at an object that is not too far away and ask you to make an estimate, you're going to be quite far off. Yeah. And uh, and we can't have that in the maps, right? Mm-hmm. That's not how computers like it. We can solve that in our brains. Yeah. But that's not how computers work. So uh, we uh, uh, we do that very accurately. So that's that's a big difference. Another big difference is that we can collect that data and we can collect it multiple times. Uh, you know, we, we can also increase the accuracy and find changes, etc. Uh, uh, you, you can compare that a little bit to um, knowing what the driver that is driving in front of you know, knowing, yeah. uh, knowing that. That's what you could compare that to, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I think this is also one of the aspects that makes the change that you were talking about. You know, what is going to happen in five years from now or 15 to 20 years from now? This is very important, that, it, that the car is constantly in connection with. So that means infrastructure, but also these data. Um, that the car knows, okay, this is going to happen. This is where I have to do this or that. And yeah. that the person in the car can relax and just do what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're not going to make that change. It's yeah. going to stay at level two, maybe yeah. like we have now maybe a little bit to three, but that's that's it. So the car is going to be a sort of computer on wheels almost. It's going to be your uh, iPhone on wheels. That will be an iPhone yeah. on wheels yeah. uh, that knows just about any possible situation that could occur well, yeah. in a driving Yeah, uh, ideally, ideally that would be the case. And and why do I say not only computer but also compare it with the phone is, is that there's going to be much more in there than only the driving. So when you're in that car, you're going to do different things. You're going to watch a movie, you're going to listen to music, you're going to work, you're going to whatever. Um, so there's a completely new business model <laughs> coming around that car and the car is going to be different than it is today. Yeah, on so much more than transportation. So much more. Yeah. Um, Stan, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers published a report on trends in in the uh, automotive industry. It has the interesting title Easy, but that is with the S-C-U-I. The focus is really on five major trends. Is there one trend that you feel really stands out? Well, I think what's what's overlapping these trends is is the thing that we're moving from vehicle-centric to uh, mobility-centric. 
Um, and I think that is that's basically overlapping trend on on all all of this. So um, if we would now maybe a couple of years and even today would say, you know, I'll go and look for a new car. Oh, what does it look like? How does it feel? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. New people are, are people now joining in. Mm-hmm. They don't look at that way at a car anymore. You know, they they look. How do I get from A to B? Mm-hmm. How is it seamlessly? How is it? And all these mega trends and the trends in development of technology, etc., are basically supporting this change that we have. I think that's that's the major topic that comes from the report. Yeah. And you can clearly see a shift uh, in in the younger generation that's yep. not so much interested in owning a car or seeing a car as a status symbol exactly. uh, but but yeah. as a means of getting to absolutely. a destination absolutely I, I have i have a good uh, example for that we, we are moving uh, some of our offices to train station locations oh. and the people there the young people now say well you know if we'd done this before i wouldn't have taken my last company car i wouldn't right. wouldn't have taken a car at all uh, or a smaller one uh, maybe electric because the distances I need to travel are less. So you see the direct change in thinking about the car. I, indeed, it's no longer a status symbol for a lot of people. Yeah. So uh, sharing is is a trend. Um, there are already um, companies that offer a car with like a professional fleet. But if we try to look a bit further ahead, would that be a sort of mobility on demand? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And 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 a little bit back to the sharing as a trend. Yes, it's a trend. Uh, at least the ownership, not having to own it, is is a trend. Um, sharing it is is something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're also willing to uh, maybe travel together or have your car, but have it used by somebody else. Yeah. Um, and here you just say, you know, I want to go from A to B, and uh, for a long haul that could be the train, uh, and for a short haul it could be the bike. Uh, but in between, I, I will use a mobility as provider with a car. Sure. So if that's if that's what you mean with sharing, yes. yes. If it's having your own car and I have other people using it when I don't, mm-hmm. uh, that's the example that Tesla is is promoting. Yeah. Then I would say that's going to be different because people do value their own property. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're com- happy to share if 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 the car is someone else's. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like a, a taxi is in principle a shared vehicle, right? Mm-hmm. Multiple people that don't own yeah. a car use the vehicle. It happens to have a driver still, but you can replace that driver over time. If we're going to share cars, you know, mobility as a service, um, does that automatically mean that uh, car sales are going to go down? Um, no, we don't think that the number of cars on the road will go down dramatically. Uh, there will be a decrease, and, and over time we've adjusted that number, but we think that if, if, if we would go in an extreme situation, um, it would probably reduce with 13 to 18%, which is, you know, it's 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 fine if you're in a queue now and it's 20% shorter. It's it's good. Um, but the turnover will be higher. So um, if a car is constantly used, mm-hmm. it it'll wear down quicker, Yeah, and needs to be replaced quicker. So production will keep up to speed, and uh, new cars will be sold. The problem we have then is, what do we do with the old cars? So there needs to be, you know, looking at new materials, etc., that we can reuse uh, in order to build the new car. Yeah, uh, Willem, cars are going to get much more advanced. Um, ultimately, they, you know, we're working towards a scenario where they will be self-driving. We'll talk a bit about that later. But um, the technology that you're developing, uh, that's really for the car of the future. Um, How soon do you think we could implement that technology uh, and and see it uh, on the road, so to speak? Well, well, two things. What we're developing now uh, is for the car of the future, but it's also for the car of today. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So uh, Stan already talked about uh, the levels of uh, automated driving. Uh, what you currently see on the road is level two. And we have close to a million vehicles on the road today with uh, level one and level two functions, mostly level two, supported by TomTom maps. Right. Yeah, Perhaps so that's for today. people who don't work in this industry, the levels. So what we see on the road now is level two. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, probably a fa- fairly new car uh, that has some uh, like assistance um, and then up to level two, a uh, level five. That would be a fully self-driving car. Is that right? Could you just... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you go very quickly, then level zero is a uh, human does everything. Right. Level one, think um, adaptive cruise control. Yep. Level two is what Tesla does. Uh, it's also what uh, Nissan Pro Pilot, if you happen to drive a Nissan Leaf or a uh, uh, GM Super Cruise, but that's only in the US. So there's a couple of. Um, uh, Mercedes has a level two system. That's most prevalent at the moment. And level two actually means it not, will not only keep your speed like adaptive cruise control, but it can also uh, change, uh, uh, oh, sorry, stay in the lane. Right. Yeah. So longitudinal and lateral right. movement yeah. control. Yeah. Level three means you can look away from the road, but you have to sit in the driver's seat and be ready to take over. In okay. In like 15 seconds or some 10, 15 seconds. Okay. You need to stay focused. Yeah. And level four means that under certain circumstances, you can even sleep. So that level four is even, uh, let's say you have a level four for highway, you you would drive to the highway. Uh, You say, I want to go to the south of France to my holiday home. You... Put back the chair, you sleep. and uh, Because that car is able to, even if there are unexpected situations, it'll take you to a safe uh, stop. Yeah? Yeah. And then it'll wake you up, whatever, 10, 20 minutes before you're in the south of France. And uh, and level five means everything works everywhere. So you don't need a steering wheel. You don't need a a gas brake. You don't need nothing. Uh, Level five is a bit... You know, it's the ultimate level, but it would yeah. also mean you can take a car that works in the US, drop it in India, and it would still work. So that, that's wow. really far away. Far away. Yeah. Okay, so back to the technology. You say we're already using it, um, but you're probably aiming um, at level four, ultimately. Uh, well, we're aiming at all levels. Okay. The business right now is in level two and three. Yeah, those are the cars that are coming out in next year. 2020, there's a, a number of uh, vehicle launches, 2021 uh, more, that are level two, level three uh, type uh, uh, functions. And that's what we're, uh, that, those are the deals we've won and those are the deals that we're supplying uh, maps to. Right. Um, what is the big benefit of this technology and this new way of driving? What do you see as a big benefit? Safety is a big benefit, right? Clearly, we are uh, over time, we're going to have less people die in traffic. Uh, there's a often used uh, statistic that uh, globally about one and a quarter million people die each year in traffic, and yeah. that is just people dying, let alone people having injuries. And that are incidents with the car involved. With the car involved, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For, uh, yeah. So safety is a big thing, and uh, you gain back time, right? Uh, I'm not a particular mm. fan of car driving. I don't relax while car driving. Some people have that. That's perfectly uh, legit. <laughs> yeah. but I don't. Yeah. 
So I'd love to gain back that time. Have the flexibility of a car, but uh, but still, you know, be able to do other things. Yeah. I, I think that won't change. There will always be people that love driving. Yeah. So yeah. the car and the technology might advance and, and the car might change, but you will also always have people that just want to drive a car or do something themselves. Um, but I could imagine that at some stage, I'm not going to put a year on it, but that it will be forbidden for people to drive cars. Oh, that, that, I think that we'll see well that be. in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we will live to see that. Yeah. That, that people will not be allowed to drive cars because they're so more, so much more unsafe than than the algorithms, than the software, mm-hmm. that will just simply not be allowed. Yeah. Stan, uh, we talked a little bit about how the industry needs to change and that when cars become much more advanced, we will need new business models. Uh, for instance, I can imagine that there w- you would need much less spare parts, for instance, and that maintenance uh, is going to be very different in the future. Do you think, are there any type of businesses really at risk of disappearing? Well, if you if you currently produce elements or parts or supplies to uh, diesel engine builders, you you will have a problem ultimately. I, mm. I don't think the diesel engine will disappear over the next couple of years, but at the end of the day, they it will. Mm-hmm. So you need to change, uh, and there's many more examples like this. Uh, at the same time, if you look at the value chain, all the players in the value chain are now looking, what is my position in the future? And that means that they need to partner up with others, they need to invest in research development, they might even take over, uh, or be taken over, or just disappear. That could also be. And in that change, they need to look at new people. Their personnel is is trained in what they do today. Yeah. And in the future, different uh, capabilities are needed. So that's a big change for them. Um, and at the same time, especially if you look at the OEMs uh, and the change to uh, electrical vehicles, they've got an investment for billions of, of euros on the, on the balance sheet that they just can't say, okay, s- strike it through today. Mm-hmm. Um, so the change needs to go... Uh, in steps. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and then business models, um, they will come up if, uh, you know, there's always people looking for the new opportunity and a new entrance uh, to, the, uh, to the value chain. So, new players coming in, uh, like the Apples, the Googles, etc. Right. That, uh, in, in a couple of years uh, back, they uh, were not expected. Yeah. In, in, in a move from vehicles to mobility, which has already come up, I think you'll see also the economic model change from pricing a vehicle to pricing a, a kilometer right right you're just going to pay per kilometer and then you can you can you know you can take premium or mid-range or lower range or whatever there'll be options but this but is that's, controversial uh, in the netherlands but you you feel that we're we're definitely yeah, going towards I, I that think, model i think what willem yeah. says is is the usage yeah. so uh, yeah. another element is how are we going to keep the infrastructure up to date and who's going to pay for that and in which way. Um, so there's a lot of discussion on that for years already, mm-hmm. uh, but there have to be changes. The, the, something has to change there because the investment needed to make this all possible, if we would move ever to, to a level five, is huge. Um, because not only the technology of the car itself, but it needs to connect constantly and we have to trust that it constantly is in connection with. Yeah. Otherwise, it will not work. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's huge investment and things need to change there as well. Mm. Um, Willem, do you think there is a role to play for the Netherlands? Can we compete in the international arena? What is our sort of Dutch potential? 
well, of course, part of our Dutch potential is maps. We've been a map-making country for centuries, right? So, right. and I think also in this futuristic area of uh, high-definition maps, we we are playing a leading role at the moment, and uh, you know, the market is shaping, and hopefully, we can uh, continue that lead. Uh, that that's, I think, uh, for sure, something that uh, uh, where we can excel. In terms of infrastructure, if you look at sort of rankings that are made, the Netherlands always comes out really well. Yeah, I think in, right? a, in a, um, a readiness index from KPMG, it's even at the top position. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we are a very good country to have, um, uh, because our roads are good, etc. Crossings, traffic lights, all of that is easy to navigate for a car where you could see the large-scale ex- experiments or large-scale rollout of uh, uh, the higher degrees of autonomy of a vehicle. What about talent? Do we have the people to make it all work? We have a lot of talent in the Netherlands, yeah. and we also have a big attraction power to people from elsewhere in the world. If I look at TomTom and even just my team, mm-hmm. there are dozens and dozens of nationalities in, in my team that are attracted to Amsterdam, are attracted to the Netherlands because still of our image uh, as a liberal uh, country, a tolerant country, uh, an easy-to-live country. It all plays a part. So we Mm -hmm. can get the talent here, right? So it doesn't all have to come from the Netherlands. I think if I look at my team, probably half is from the Netherlands, the the other half is, uh, is not. I, I agree with what Willem says. I think the Netherlands is a very good position to be a player. Um, we, we're inno- innovative. Um, we seek opportunities. Yes. Um, and we have a great supplier base to the big OEMs. So OEMs, just, I mean, yeah, I don't work in the industry. No, Help no, me. It's, it's <laughs> the original equipment manufacturer. So uh, right. in the automotive, that, just take the German OEMs, which are BMW, Volkswagen, uh, sure. Daimler, etc. Um, and we have a lot of suppliers in the Netherlands into very high technological areas, including TomTom. Um, and I think with the open atmosphere and, and the um, willingness of people to travel, to live here and work here, we can attract a lot of talent that if we haven't got it already. Um, so we're very well positioned. We need to get through the couple of, next couple of years because mm-hmm. there's really a downturn in the automotive sector. Um, if we get through that, if companies get through that, I think they can have a very good time going forward. Yeah. And when you say downturn, what do you mean? Well, sales are down. Yeah. Um, if, we, if we look at, again, the German OEMs, the German car makers, you know, there's a lot of discussion, um, not doing very well, laying off people, have to make the change. And that's difficult, very yeah. difficult for these big, big companies that have been doing what they've done all these years. And if we can get through that situation and maybe an even, even economical downturn, yeah. if you look at Germany, the numbers that were presented yesterday, then even there, you know, but if you get through that with the high technological things that we do in the Netherlands with the supplies we have and the talent we have I think we can make a difference worldwide yeah we talked about the benefits but is there a downside is there um, is there a risk is there a bump in the road ahead I don't know if there's a big risk and uh, the only thing is that we tend to overestimate the speed of mm-hmm. how things change yeah So we think, you know, your first question was, where is it in five years from now? I don't think that much difference. Look further ahead. And if if that tipping point comes, then it's going to go fast. And people tend to 
want to still have their you know, privacy if they travel. So we also think that autonomous electric cars are the solution to everything. The they big hallelujah. Yeah, big hallelujah. <laughs> you know, I don't think they are. No. They're going to make life easier in many things. They're going to save us time. But are they the big thing that's going to save every, you know, change every world problem we have? No, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, Willem, is there one crucial uh, aspect that is like holding us back? If you think like, what would we, what do we really need to move forward? If you look at the speed of change, uh, as, as Stan was also mentioning, then if you look back in 10 years, you're not going to believe what you see today. How could we even move around, right? Uh, but but it will go very quickly, and when when it happens, it's sort of unpredictable. What that means is that the, the so the speed and and the bump in the road is is determined indeed by the rollout, uh, how fast we can roll out. A lot of the technology has been proven yeah. already uh, on a smaller scale. Because the technology people tend to say we're ready. Yeah. And but the car manufacturers are a bit slow, and they yeah. say, well, we don't trust the technology yet. So it's a sort of like. Is this, there, there's this tango. Yeah, but it will, uh, you know, I think a big tipping point will be when you see the cost per kilometer of a level four vehicle in, in a restricted area uh, go below, well below the cost of ownership of a vehicle. Because then you'll see not the, the, the top of the society, but the, the middle bulk of society, they will start to make that decision like... When I have to buy a new car, you know, it's now so dense, uh, I'll just, I won't buy a new car. I'll and that could be the tipping point we're sort of looking boom. for. Yeah. Looking for. yeah. yeah. Um, finally, my son just turned 12 this week. So in six years time, you know, we would send him to uh, to driving lessons. What do you think? Will he need them? Stan, Willem? Yeah, like I said, five years from now, not that much of a difference yet. So yeah. I guess he will. Probably, yeah. Um, we need to save up for that. Yeah, but his children, I don't think so. You agree, Willem? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Stan Berings, Willem Strijbos, thank you so much for this interesting conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to this first episode of The Future of Automotive. Stay tuned for our next episode, then we'll talk about safety and legislation. You'll find us in the BNR app or just look us up in your favorite podcast player. Till next time. <laughs>